0: Amen. Well, good morning, Living Stones. Great to be with all of you guys today. Thank you very much, Kyle. And um, I do want to echo what Kyle said. I'm very grateful for uh, everybody that came out yesterday and was a part of our uh, decorating day. It was a lot of fun. And we always have a great time just getting together with our church family and um, just speaking with one another, getting to hang out. And uh, Shane, thank you for all your hard work, for Jim and for Meredith organizing and uh, planning everything out. It was a, a great great time. So we are going to be uh, starting our Christmas series this morning, and and one thing I as I was kind of thinking about as you're preparing about Christmas, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of stories that many of us are very familiar with, that, that just about everybody in the room could probably tell the story. So if I asked you to share the story of the three little pigs, everybody in this room could tell that story with, with a great degree of accuracy. The same thing with the story of Cinderella. Most most fairy tales are that way, where, where we just kind of know these stories. We could probably tell them in, in our sleep in some ways. And just kind of uh, letting you in on, on a little secret of pastors, sometimes Christmas can be a little bit of a difficult time, a difficult season for putting together messages, because most of us at least have a, a general understanding of the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus. And, and so trying to find a way to share the story of the birth of the Son of God in in a relevant and a new and a fresh way can sometimes be a little difficult. But the good news is that the Word of God is so, it's so rich and and the truth that it holds, it, it continually uh, it, it continually speaks to us in many different ways and, and something that's really always refreshing and timely. And so this morning we're starting a series that we're calling let let there be. All right. <laughs> let, let, let there be. And and if you if you read the, the account, the, the creation account in Genesis 1, we hear how God spoke and things happened. Where he said, Let there be light, and there was light. He said, Let there be a space between the waters. He said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together, let the lights appear in the sky. And, and God's response every single time when when he spoke this was that it was good, that it was good. But it didn't take all that long for humankind to kind of mess it up. If you skip forward two chapters to Genesis chapter 3, we read about how Adam and Eve, they were in the garden and had perfect fellowship with God, and yet they chose to sin. They, their, their sin disrupted that fellowship, and it separated them from God. And, and starting from that very moment, God began his rescue plan for what he was going to do in order to rescue all of, all of humankind. And that rescue plan came to a climax 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born in this little town of Bethlehem. Everything that had been lost in the fall, Jesus came to fix. He came to restore. He came to make things right once again. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, and, and on your way out today, everybody's going to get a, a key ring, and it says, let there be on it, and, and there's going to be a different color washer that we're going to have you add each week of this series to remind you just a, as part of what is it that God has, that Jesus came to restore in our life, and, and so this morning, you know, as I, was, as I was thinking, as I was preparing for this morning, during the month of December, there's a word that we see so often everywhere we go leading up to Christmas. We see it on uh, yard signs, we see it on Christmas cards, we sing Christmas carols about it. We even hear it talked about in the Charlie Brown Christmas special where where Linus is sharing the, the speech and he's talking from Luke chapter 2 and he says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. And in fact, in, in your Bible, in, in the in the four Gospels and the Christmas stories, The word joy is used eight different times in the story, in the Christmas story. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look this morning at the Christmas story and and find how we can still find joy in the middle of what what seemingly feels like this endless supply, this endless list of things that come and try to steal and rob joy from us in, in these moments. Now, joy is, it's an emotion. It's something that we feel. But there's a difference between joy and happiness, where happiness is based on what happens to us, the happenings that go on around us. But joy is a choice. Sometimes we have to fight for it. Happiness is external. It's based on external things, external circumstances. Joy is an internal posture of the heart. It's something that we get to experience. And sometimes even in the middle of very difficult grieving times. Rick and Kay Warren, they, they are the pastors of Saddleback Church in California, one of the biggest and most influential churches in the country. Um, Rick Warren, he's been called America's pastor, and he even uh, he prayed the invocation at President Obama's first inaugural. And And in 2013, their 27-year-old son, Matthew, who had battled depression, he had battled different mental health struggles for years, committed suicide. In 2013. A, a totally tragic situation. And, and with Rick and Kay Warren being very public figures, their, their grief was observed. It, it was, you know, on display. People watched how they processed their, their grief. And in the years since losing their son, they and their church have probably done more in the church world than any other to promote good mental health care. And, and, and what does it look like for the church? To, to speak to and, and speak into issues of, of mental health. And, and not long after Matthew committed suicide, Kay Warren wrote a book that she called Choose Joy. I, I, would, I would highly recommend this book to, to anybody. It, it really is a fantastic book. And in the book, she gives a definition of joy, and, and Kay Warren's definition of joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of every detail of my life the quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Now, now as much as I would love to say that, that we can have joy all the time, that we will always experience, that definitely is not, is not true. Every, everyone who's, who's been alive for more than five minutes knows that joy is not something that we just perpetually have. Like, joy has a tendency to ooze out. It, it, it leaks in a way. And, and, and we have to do things to preserve it. There, there's a seemingly endless list, an endless flood of things that come at us to, that try to steal joy in our lives. I, 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 and I'll be honest with you, like, this morning was a prime example of that. Like, I, I, was, I had to fight for joy this morning. My staff can tell you, I, went, I had a scowl on my face, and I was, I was angry. I was upset this morning when we got here our baptismal tank, we're excited about baptism. The heater's not working in, in our baptismal tank right now. That's why Kyle said it was a chilling baptism for a service. And I I I'm telling you, like it, it was one of those things that just like instantly got me upset. I, I was frustrated. I I was like, no, this is not, this is not what I had in my mind. This is not what I had planned. It's not what I had thought in this moment. And it was one of those things. I, I mean, and, and doesn't that happen to us? That something comes along that just wants to rob and steal that joy from us. And I, and I had to remind myself, no, that's not what baptism is about. It's not about you know having you know warm water. It's a, it's about people making a public declaration about their faith in Christ. That is what we do baptism for, regardless of whether the the baptismal tank is heated. And I apologize in advance to everybody that's getting in. It. Believe me, I'm getting in too. Um, but, but as, we look at, as we look at the Christmas story, there's, there's three things I want to highlight in this story that I believe are huge thieves of joy in our lives. And then three choices, three decisions that we can make to help us fight for joy, things that, that Mary and Joseph and the wise men had to choose to do. And so the first thing, the first, like, destroyer of joy that I want to talk about this morning is anxiety. Anxiety, like when we get stressed out. When we get tense, when we get worried, when we get afraid, when we're nervous, when we're scared, like what I was telling you this morning, like I, it made me tense immediately about the, the baptismal tank. And any, any time that those, those anxious feelings, those anxious emotions come, joy is not going to stick around. And when we think of the birth of Jesus, it was filled with anxiety the entire story was 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 filled with stress and anxiety you think of mary for a moment she's she's a 13 14 maybe at the very oldest 15 year old girl like she she's she's barely a teenager she's not she's not a mature woman in her 30s she's not a young woman in her 20s she's barely a teenager and finds herself pregnant and she's she's a virgin she she's engaged to joseph who she has not been with yet So think, all right, how do do you explain that one to mom? Like, oh, hey, mom, I'm 13 and I'm pregnant. Oh, really? Who's the father? And she says, oh, God. Like, I I mean, how many many of you would believe your 13-year-old daughter? Like, I'd like to say I would, but, I mean, let's just be real. Like, I'm sure most of us would be like, mm mm-hmm, right. But then she also has to go on and explain this to her friends and to her fiancé Joseph about what happened. And and, and she lives in in a small, tiny little town called Nazareth. Like, I don't know if any of you have ever lived in a small town before, but, like, gossip travels fast. Like, everybody knows everybody else's business in a small town, and I guarantee you that was the case in Nazareth. The, The scandal of this pregnancy everybody knew about it. Everyone knew. And then you fast forward just a few days before she's about to give birth, she has to be put on a donkey and, and taken a, a several-day trip to Bethlehem. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever had a baby before. You've ever been in a relationship with somebody who's had a baby before. Like, it is a stressful time. It's, it is totally anxiety-ridden. Like, you, you know that. and 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 then you think about when it, time, when it came time for Mary to give birth. She didn't have her mom there to help her out. She didn't have her aunts there to help her out. Like the only, only person that was there was Joseph. And you think about it, at this time, dads were not involved in the birthing process. So she was, she was completely alone. And you throw all these factors together that Mary had to deal with, it's almost this perfect anxiety, this perfect storm of anxiety. I mentioned that the the word joy is mentioned eight different times in the gospel accounts of the Christmas story. The word afraid is mentioned seven times in the gospel accounts of the Christmas story. And, And every time an angel shows up, the very first thing the angel says is, Don't be afraid. The angels were coming and they were bringing good news. When the angels were coming and speaking, to the shepherds and they spoke to Joseph and they spoke to Mary like they were bringing good news but the very first thing they had to say was don't be afraid because fear anxiety and joy can't coincide they don't go hand in hand so if you're taking notes I want you to write this down when Mary was afraid she chose to trust God and accept his plan when she was afraid she chose to trust God and accept his plan. We, we read a bit about this, uh, the, a bit of Mary's story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. She was she was pregnant with what? who was going to be called John the Baptist. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. And God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name... Was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Like Gabriel saying to her, All right, Mary, I'm about to tell you something. God has an incredible plan for you, He has an incredible plan for your life. God is saying that same thing to every one of us in this room today. God has a plan for you. And He has an incredible plan for your life. And, and it might the God's plan for you is not going to be the same as it was for Mary. But one of the things is Mary had to make a choice. She could have missed out on what God wanted to do through her. She, she chose to trust God and accept His plan. And, and the more the angel talks, the more I'm sure the anxiety level started to rise. Because in verse 31 it says, the angel spoke, said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Like if you think of like your birth announcement that your parents like put out when you were born, it wasn't quite like that. I mean that like... This was a special child. There was something so different. Like, can you, imagine, can you imagine being given that task? You're going to be raising the Son of God. You're going to be raising a king who is going to reign forever on David. Like, I mean, can you imagine that level of anxiety? And then it goes on. Mary asked in verse 34, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin?" And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And I'm sure she had quite like, what, she's 13 years old. Like, What does that even mean? The, 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 the power of the Most High will overshadow me. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Like it just keeps getting more stressful and more stressful and more stressful as she goes. And, and the question I want to ask, I've been asking myself Noah, that I want to ask everybody here today is, what's making you anxious this Christmas season? What, what is it that's causing anxiety for you? Is it your marriage or a relationship? Is it finances? Is it, is it something with, with your kids? An issue at your job? A struggle with either physical or, or mental health issues? Like, what is causing you anxiety this Christmas time? And I can tell you that regardless of what it is that's causing your anxiety, one of the biggest things we can do is what Mary chose to do. To trust God and to accept His plan. I might not understand it all, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to accept your plan. Taking all that's worrying us and handing it to God, saying, God, this is way bigger than me. I don't know what to do with this i can't figure it all out but i'm going to trust you i'm going to accept your plan even if i don't understand it all because mary's response in in luke 138 was she said simply i am the lord's servant mary answered may your word to me be fulfilled she said okay i'm in like that that is a pretty mature response for a young girl that's a very mature response like and and the question I'm asking myself, and I all of us, have we made that same decision? Saying, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I'm going to trust you, and your plan, your your goals, what you want in my life. And until we do that, we're never going to have lasting joy. In fact, if we if you read a few verses later, Mary actually writes a song. She she sings a song a few verses after this. And in Luke one forty six and forty seven, it says, Mary said. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Like she had just been handed the, this gigantic news, and she said, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She made a decision to be joyful. Now, the second, the second kind of destroyer that that I see here that, that I think is a, a real destroyer of joy would be resentment over a hurt. And this is one everybody can relate to. Because every single one of us in this room, we've been hurt by somebody. And I would venture to say that at one, in one way or another, we're probably all still harboring some level of resentment over that hurt. If we're just being real. We, we, might, have, we might have forgiven, but, but that hurt is still there. When that name comes up, it brings back a flood of emotions. Like th- this is something that's happened... And popped up for me lately. Like someone I felt wronged me. And if I'm being honest, it's led to some resentment on my part. It's taken away some, or it's taken away some of my joy in the process. And this is the, the situation that Joseph was faced with. Because he was made to look like a fool. Like his fiance, who he had never slept with, he would never been with, announces that she's pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. And so, like, the the shame that he felt was was huge. Again, they lived in a small town. Everybody knew their business. Everybody knew what was going on. They knew that Mary was pregnant, and they either assumed it was Joseph's child, and his reputation of being an upright man was now being called into question, or he was engaged to a girl who had cheated on him. Like, either way, it was a lose-lose situation for Joseph, because God had not let Joseph in on it. He hadn't shared with Joseph what had happened, but we can learn from Joseph's response to the hurt about how we can have joy in the middle of our own pain, because Joseph did not seek revenge. He didn't seek to get back at her. He didn't seek to embarrass her. But if you're you're taking notes, when Joseph was hurt, he chose to offer grace and let the pain go. This is how Joseph handled it, to offer grace and let the pain go. Like, and I find this so unique. God could have told Mary and Joseph together at the same time about what was going to happen. When, when, when Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, he could have chose to have done it while, while Joseph was right there, and they could have like been having this, this <laughs> meeting of the minds together all at once. But that's not what God did. In fact, God purposely did not include Joseph in that conversation. Like, that, that would have saved Joseph a lot of, a lot of agony in this moment. But, and this is just my opinion, but I think in this moment, God was in some ways testing Joseph's character. How was he going to respond to this kind of news? Was he going to try to get back at her and say, all right, you hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you back. You, You cheated on me, well, I'm going to get back at you by sleeping with somebody else. But that's not what he chose to do at all. He chose to offer grace and let go of his pain. And we, we read about this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Like he didn't want to shame her. He could have rubbed it in. He would have been well within his rights to do so. He could have publicly embarrassed her, shunned her, all kinds of things. But instead, he offers one of the most beautiful examples of grace in the Scriptures. And so the question I I, I pose today is, who's the person who has hurt you more than anybody else? And I'm pretty sure you don't have to think all that hard about it. When I ask that question, I'm sure that, that person comes to mind pretty quickly because resentment is probably one of the most worthless emotions on the planet earth I mean bitterness does not make us feel better it doesn't change the other person it doesn't make right what took place like resentment only ends up making us miserable it's a killer of joy like can you can you be resentful and joyous at the same time no not at all but we need to get to the point where, where we make that decision that, that Joseph did, where I can, I'm going to offer grace, I'm going to let go of that pain. And admittedly, that's easier said than done. It's not, it's not just a, an easy, oh, well, no big deal, no harm, no foul. No, that, that's not what it is. But Joseph said, all right, there's still going to be consequences for this. I'm going to divorce, I'm, I'm not going to make a spectacle of her, but I'm going to try to do this the right way, with the right heart. I'm still going to offer grace in the middle of it. And in Matthew 1, verse 20, the angel finally comes and and speaks to Joseph. But after he had considered this, after he had considered divorcing her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Because, jo- because Joseph chose not to get bitter, God was able to bless him abundantly. He was able to be the stepfather of the Son of God. Like, can you imagine that privilege of what that, was, what that was like? But he had to make that choice to show grace. To be able to let go of that pain that he was experiencing. And then the third kind of main destroyer of joy that I see in our Christmas story here is that of confusion. Confusion. When we're confused in life, it robs us of joy. When, when we can't make sense of what's going on around us, when, when things are, are causing doubt and, and uncertainty, we lose joy in our life. And, and it, in, the very, in the very first Christmas, everybody is confused, except the angels. Every character we meet in the Christmas story is confused. Mary is, Joseph, the shepherds, they don't, they don't know what's going on, King Herod is confused the Bible even says that all the people in Jerusalem were confused about what was happening what was going on in this moment even the wise men were confused now we know we know the wise men they saw a star in the east they they lived in the west we don't know exactly where they're from some estimate or or, or theorized persia somewhere like modern day iran but they saw this star in the east, and they decide to follow it. These were these were astronomers. They, they were they were followers, uh, students, of the stars. And they saw this star, and they said, "Oh, there's something special here," and they chose to follow it. But the thing is, they didn't know where they were going. They, they didn't know where they were headed. They didn't they didn't even know who they were looking for. They they, they you know they they stopped in Jerusalem to even ask for questions. All right. We've, we've come to worship the king of the Jews. Do you know where he is? Like, they, they didn't know exactly where they were going or who they were looking for. And so if you're taking notes, when the Magi were confused, they chose to follow God's light one step at a time. The, the story of the wise men, the Magi, is found in Matthew 2. It's starting in verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. But King Herod, having heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Like one thing we can say about the Magi, they they were seekers. They were seekers. They they wanted to seek. They wanted to find out about Jesus, about the king of the Jews. They They were curious these guys were, were intellectuals. They were, they were scholars. And they sought after God, and they were serious enough to, to invest their time, their energy, their resources in doing it. This wasn't just going to be a weekend trip. This was likely something that was going to take them months to pack up and to go find this newborn king of the Jews. This wasn't just something that they could just pack up and leave. They, they, I mean, they, they were invested in seeking after him. They didn't wait to understand all of the details. They just knew, all right, I need to start this journey. I need to take this next step. I, don't, I might not know exactly where I'm going. I might not know exactly who I'm looking for, but I'm going to take the step. We don't have to have all of the answers ourselves before we go searching for him too. And in Matthew 2, verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. They, they did not give up until they actually found Jesus. And when they saw the star again, they were overjoyed. What, what, what's amazing to me about this is that God did not give them a map. He didn't give them a road map and said, all right, this is exactly where you need to go. This is exa- exactly what's going to happen when you get there. This is what, what you need to do. This is, this is how, you need to, uh, how you need to go about it, who you need to talk to. He didn't give them any of that. But isn't that what we always desire, what we always want in life? We want a roadmap. We want to know exactly what is our next step and what's, what's the step 10, 10 steps down the road? Like where, where is this ultimately going so that so we can kind of like be prepared in advance, so we can approve it in advance. But that's not how God works with us. God doesn't give us a road map that, that lays out everything that's going to happen along the way. But he gives us a guiding light. He, he gives us the grace to take one more step. And then he gives us the grace to take the next step, and then the step after that. He doesn't always let us know exactly what's going to be coming on miles down the road. And does that partly because I think if he, if he shared everything with us, if he told us everything that was going to happen... Like, it would scare us to death. Like, if God showed you everything in your life, I doubt you could, you could handle that. Like the, the great theologian Jack Nicholson said in A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. And I think in some ways that's probably true. But when we get there, I'm going to give you grace to take that next step. But God also doesn't give us a map because if he laid it all out for us, what need would we have to trust him? If we knew exactly what was going to come and what's going to happen tomorrow and, and five years from now, what need would we have to trust God today? But what He has given us is a guiding light. You know, like our, our 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 Bible's here, our Bible's not going to tell you what job you ought to take, who you ought to marry. This Bible's not going to tell you every decision you need to make in your life, but what it can do, it can act like a compass. It can tell you what direction you ought to travel in. Like if you've ever if you've ever hiked and traveled by compass before, it doesn't tell you how to get there. It just tells you what direction to go. In a lot of ways, that that's what the Word of God does for us. It doesn't lay out every decision for us, but it gives us a direction, saying that this is this is where you ought to go. This is what you ought to be looking for. And so when we get confused, we can make the choice that the wise men made, to follow God's light one step at a time, taking that next step in in our journey and being okay not having all the answers before we start. And so I want to close with one final thought here this morning. And I said it earlier, we all have so many different things that have the potential to rob joy from us, especially this time of year. And in the story, I I highlighted three things, three kind of culprits that help rob that joy from us, anxiety, anxiety, resentment from a hurt, and confusion. And if we're honest, I bet many of us in this room are wrestling with at least one of these, and I'd venture to say probably many of us, probably several of them, if not all of these different things in different areas of our life. But we can make the choices that that Mary and that Joseph and that the Magi made to start to fight back, reclaim some of that joy that we've lost, to be able to trust God and His plan for our life to offer grace, and to let go of the hurt, and to follow God's light one step at a time. Like it, It's not a magic formula. All right, just just do these things, and then you're going to just have the most joyous life ever. That, that's, that's not how it works. The, the, the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. There are no quick fixes. But what it can do, when we start to do some of those things, when we start to make some of those choices that Mary and Joseph and the Magi made, it, it opens up opportunities for God to allow us to experience joy. And I love what David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 12. David said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Like that, that's my prayer for all of us as, as a church family this Christmas season, that God would restore back to us the joy of our salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, to keep me going, to keep following after him and not turning back. So if you would, bow your heads and let me pray for, for all of us this morning. And Lord, I, I'm so grateful and thankful, God, for who you are. God, thank you for the amazing gift of your son. God, that we, we have been blessed in so many ways. And, and God, we, we just honor you and thank you, God, for it. Thank you, God, that, that you, even in the middle uh, of, our, of our anxiety, in the middle of our hurts, in the middle of our confusion, God, that you are still present, Lord, that that we can make those same choices that Mary and Joseph and the Magi made, Lord, that that we want to open ourselves up, God, for you to allow joy to fill us once again, exactly like David said. God, restore to us the joy of our salvation and give us a spirit that will sustain us. God, I'm so thankful for you for what you're doing in, in our lives and in our church. And I just pray, Father, that you would just bless our church family that during this Christmas season, we're going to see your hand at work. We're going we're to see and experience your joy again in a powerful way. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.